are about to enter a world of hope and engage in a conversation about peace and positive change in our wounded communities. Welcome to Power of Peace Radio with your host, Kit Cummings. Each week, we tackle the issues that you've been asking about, and we seek sustainable solutions for our youth, their families, and our planet. Now, here is Kit Cummings. Good evening, everybody. Kit Cummings. Uh, Welcome to the Power of Peace Radio uh, here on Voice America World Talk Radio, broadcasting live from Atlanta, Georgia, but we're going out to literally everywhere. If you're joining with us tonight, we're super glad that you uh, decided to tune in. We've got some, um, I think tonight is going to be a a really, really good show. We're going to talk about uh, what really much of the nation is talking about right now. Uh, but the Power of Peace Radio is, is about finding solutions, and um, that's one of the, the reasons that the project uh, that I stumbled upon, it was an idea that became an experiment that led to developing a program, and now it's morphed into a movement, and it's connected me with uh, wonderful people like the guests we're going to have on tonight, but the power of peace really communicates uh, what peace is all about. And um, a lot of people think of peace as, you know, they see a peace sign or, you know, it's just kind of fluffy and it's light and maybe it's even weak. And there's power in peace and nonviolence is a, a weapon of the strong. It's not a weapon of the weak. And, and uh, this Power of Peace Project, it, it was born in Georgia's most violent maximum security prison in the midst of a gang war. And some inmates uh, took a stand, signed a peace pledge, and I was, um, I was there, and, and I got to see it and be a part of it and to be in that discussion, and it changed my life. These young men, white, black, brown, young men, gang-affiliated, life sentence inmates in the toughest prison in Georgia, they stood up, and they tried something that led to the, the great work and the passion of my life, and um, this radio program is all about the principles, the universal laws and principles which have worked for anyone along the way through all the generations. And you go back as far as you can go. Anybody that's made a difference in this world and really grabbed onto these principles, they are what they are. It's like gravity. It works whether you believe it or not. And the, the icons of peace, the, the great giants, the Gandhis and the Kings and the Mandelas and the Mother Teresas and you know, these, these champions of peace, um, they all just borrowed and they taught and they lived and they walked in these principles that we will talk about tonight. Um, our, our nation is in a conversation that is really heating up and uh, it seemed like Ferguson was the, the match that was thrown into a, um, a bucket of gasoline and it burned and it, it, was, um, it wasn't anything new, but it, it got everybody's attention. And since then, since the Michael Brown uh, situation, and I got to see that, you know, during the, uh, the heat of it, and so did our guest. And then there was Freddie Gray, and then there was Tamir Rice in Cleveland, and now everybody's talking about Sandra Bland and, and down in Texas. And um, this is a very, very hot issue. And now here in Atlanta, the um, historic uh, birthplace of, of the civil rights movement and Dr. King uh, where his home and his church and, and where the heart of this movement um, really began um, is experiencing a lot of these things firsthand. People are talking about the, the Confederate flag and, and all that was started in South Carolina. I'm hearing a lot of different opinions. And um, Dr. King said that real peace is not just the absence of conflict, uh, but it's the presence of justice. And tonight, I'm very, very excited um, that we have on the 
the show with us, um, a man who has become uh, not just a voice, but a force, an agent of change. Uh, he's a civil and human rights leader. He's a powerful orator, Baptist minister, social and political activist, public policy advocate, public servant, change agent. I mean, I could go on. I'll, I'll say this quote. Um, this quote was by um, the late Dr. C. Dolores Tucker. We had Medgar, we had Malcolm, we had Martin. Now we have another M. We have Markel. So tonight we have Reverend Markel Hutchins. And um, sir, I'm so excited that you've come on with us. Um, tell us tell us why you're here and where you're coming from and what's up. Then we're going to get into our discussion. Well, first of all, Reverend, thank you so much for having me. And I'm honored and delighted to join you in this, in this talk about peace and, and particularly around the power of peace. I think so much of what is happening in our politics and um, in our government, not just domestically, but around the world, um, can be solved with the power of peace. And I, I think you uh, have quoted Dr. King aptly and what Dr. King suggested about um, peace not just being the absence of war, but the presence of justice is kind of where our nation needs to focus itself right now, whether we are dealing with the aftermath of um, the confusion around the Confederate flag and the divisiveness that has been created in our in our nation around that discussion, or the shooting of of people in in uh, Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, or uh, some of the cases that we've all talked about, Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown and and Eric Garner, and so on and so forth. But certainly, what's happening in our prisons today? I mean, we uh, are supposed to be the world superpower and the moral authority for the world, and yet we incarcerate more people in the United States of America than any other uh, so-called civilized or industrial nation in the world. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do, and uh, the the power of peace is, is paramount uh, in this moment, because um, without any real justice for people, I don't think we'll see any real peace. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you, and and um, I want to talk a little bit about movement forward here as as we go forward the um, the coalition, the organization that you started in Atlanta. But um, I think that I would be remiss not to tell our listeners how we how we met and how we got to be friends, Reverend. I was booked on a TV show here in Atlanta, and um, and so was uh, another gentleman, and and I showed up at the studio, and uh, we were in the quote-unquote green room. We were getting ready, and we were filling out call sheets, and the other guests did not have a pen. And so I got done with my, you know, with my sheet, and I gave it to, um, to the other guest, and um, he filled out his sheet, and then he put it in his suit pocket. And this pen is so special to me. It was made, it's made out of deer antler, and you know, this was made by a convict inside an Angola prison down in, in Louisiana, the biggest prison in the, in the country. And so I've got this special pen and, and I left, we had this great show, this other individual and uh, leader, and it was a spirited debate. We didn't know each other, but we really bonded on this show. It was really cool. And I got home and I was looking for my pen. And this is like, this is very special to me. And I realized it was gone. And uh, I called the station. They said, we don't know what happened to it. And I was like, I was sad. And so I reached out to uh, the guest who happened to be uh, Reverend Markel Hutchins, and I called him up. You remember? You remember what I did? I called you. I said, "Did you steal my pen?" And uh, yeah, brother said, yeah. "Brother said 
He said, yes, sir. I still, and so <laughs> this man on the other end of this line, he, he is a busy man. He's hard to get a hold of. And we didn't know each other. We had just done this TV show together. So I started stalking this brother and uh, sending him, I just felt bad, and text messages, and I couldn't get my pen back. And it took about three, four, five months, and finally, um, <laughs> Reverend, uh, he, he felt bad. And, and he said, I got the pen. He took a picture of the pen on his cell phone, put it into a package, and then you know sent it to me. So I got my pen back. But that last day when you put that picture, you said, by the way, are you doing anything tomorrow? And I said, uh, what you got? And he said, we're having a press conference and we're going to tell the world about this new movement, Movement Forward uh, Inc. And I want you to be there. And so I was there and we really connected. And I, I say all that to say this pen right here got us together. And I think it was a divine appointment. God wanted to make sure that he got you into my life and um, I admire your work, but it, would, would you like to tell us a little bit about how the, how movement forward got started? And uh, we got a few minutes and we're going to take a little break, but go ahead and let's start talking about that a little bit. Well, first of all, I think you're absolutely correct. The, the, the pen, and it's amazing <laughs> how sometimes things that seem so mundane and innocuous can connect people together. I don't know why I held on to that pen for so long. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it rolled around in my car and it seemed like for several months, every time I got ready to send the pen, something happened, something distracted me, so on and so forth. But, um, excuse me, just that day, um, I said the pen, and I, I, I don't know what kind of motivated me in that moment to, to just stop everything that I was doing and take that pen to the post office and put a stamp on it. I think one of the reasons why I, I held on to it for as long as I did is I, I really wanted to be able to present it to you in person. So I, was, you know, I wanted to kind of meet you and, and come out to near where you, uh, or where you are to, to bring it to you, but... Uh, I, I do believe that, that was the divine connection, and for whatever reason, the day that I um, sent you that picture and, and literally put the pen in the mail was uh, the day or so before um, some of the ministers that, that we had met with a couple of months prior were to stand together and announce the creation of Movement Forward. And that, that organization really has grown, Reverend, out of uh, what I see as a void in America today. So much of these um, responses that we've seen around the country to racially charged incidents, whether it was the Trayvon Martin case in Sanford, Florida that we talked about a moment ago, or the Eric Garner case in New York, or uh, the Michael Brown case in, in St. Louis and in, in St. Louis area. Uh, we have seen responses, but they've been desisted. They, you know, it, it's almost like we are going backwards in many ways when it comes to race relations in America, specifically in response to some of the tragic, uh, tragic police involved or law enforcement involved situations that we've seen recently. And I, I just believe that we're not as divided as we are disconnected. And I've met many great people of every race, of every religion, of every um, socioeconomic class. And so for me, the challenge of our time is to connect our differences together into a uh, what I call a beautiful symphony of sister and brotherhood, that when these incidents happen, 
We don't use them or misuse them to create a bigger divide, but we utilize them to bring people together. So out of the darkness, some, some light can emerge. And so, you know, uh, in the 1950s and 60s, you had SDLC and SNCC, and you had the Congress of Racial Equality, and you had the NAACP, and you had the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. But most of the leadership in those organizations were of people who were in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. Now, so much of civil rights leadership, particularly that is based in Atlanta, is in their 70s and 80s, and in some sense, in some instances, in their 90s. There was no generation of leadership, really, on my estimation, that filled the void and followed the tradition of Dr. King uh, once those leaders from the 50s and 60s began to get older and move off the scene. So, uh, you know, in February of this year, I met with some 70 or so um, faith leaders in Atlanta mm-hmm. to talk about building this organization or coalition that we've now uh, named Movement Forward to take the work of Dr. King and those who stood in march with him and move it forward into a new generation, to move it forward out of traditional optics and forward out of the divisions that have kept us separated. And since that time, of course, we've connected with many great people like you to do some really great and dynamic things. I think the, the issues around racism and social inequity and classism and homophobia and uh, gender inequality, those issues are different, but many of them are, are, um, are still present. And the only way we're going to solve those problems is that people of every race, uh, of every class, and from every background have got to come together and work around our commonalities as opposed to just accentuating our differences. And that's kind of what Movement Forward is all about. That is that is good. And it's a great segue into uh, where we want to go next. If you're uh, tuned in listening, we'll be back in just a few minutes, take a quick break, but uh, come back for the next segment because we're really going to dig into some of the things that uh, the Reverend just touched on. So uh, stay tuned. Be back in just a few Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Do you feel alone, even when you are surrounded by others? Do you feel that there is sometimes nowhere to turn and nobody really understands? Remember, you are not alone. Every week, host April J. Ford, who has faced adversity as a constant in her life, helps you rise above life's challenges with your own blueprint meant to help you find out who you are. April's challenges have included childhood sexual abuse, becoming a widow and single parent at 32, and plenty of other curveballs thrown at her by life. She'll help you every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Are you happy in your life, or are you just settling? It's time to speak out, take control of your existence, and let your life speak. Bart Queen is the host of A Hero's Journey. His personal goal is to help you find your voice, use that voice, and live the life that you deserve to live. Do more, be more, and give more. 
Tune in to A Hero's Journey on the Voice America Empowerment Channel, live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You owe it to yourself to tune in and make your voice count. Get ready to experience a more fulfilling lifestyle. Tune in to Direct Connect Empowerment with host Fee Mazanki. The show will feature guests who have changed their lives by using the Direct Connect coaching program or have worked with the same concepts that this program offers. By hearing how others have been transformed, you will be inspired to move forward. Direct Connect Empowerment with Fee Mazanki can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Power of Peace Radio. To reach Kit Cummings or his guest today, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to kit at kitcummings.com. Now, back to Power of Peace Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Kit Cummings, Power of Peace Radio, on with Reverend Mark L. Hutchins. And uh, we're here in Atlanta, but we're talking about uh, what a lot of the nation is talking about tonight. And uh, the last segment, we ended talking about the youth. And I wanted to tell about a situation that I went through in Ohio and then, um, and then move into this next segment. I was in Ohio doing a juvenile correctional uh, facility event. And the Power Peace Project works in prisons, uh, juvenile corrections, addiction and recovery schools and teaches a lot of these principles that this young generation doesn't know. And uh, one of the last things, uh, Reverend Hutchins, that you said was the generation that really changed things in the 50s and 60s are now uh, aging. And you've got the 70s and 80s and even the 90s, these these champions of, of peace. But where is the next generation? And, um, and that's a lot of what we're trying to do. So I was in front of all these uh, young juvenile inmates. And this wasn't a little detention center or a work camp. This was a juvenile prison. You had uh, young people in there, some of them doing juvenile life. Uh, the average age was 17. We had a kid in there as young as 12. And then they keep them as old as 21 before a lot of them are bound over to um, state prisons. And uh, this is a rough group, kids coming out of Cleveland, Cincinnati. They were in, involved in a war. If you were up in Ohio, it depends on what city you come out of, about who your enemies are. They fight all the time. And so we were launching this peace movement up there. And, and what I do, among other things in this program, is I ask a very you know, important question is, was Gandhi a weak man or a strong man? And for the first time, there were a couple of kids that yelled out, who and, and I was, it took me back that they had no idea who Gandhi was. And so I said, Dr. King, let's talk about Dr. King, strong man or a weak man. And for the first time ever, there were two or three of those boys that yelled out weak. And to them, Dr. King was a weak man. And it really just stuck. It was a dramatic moment. Now, those, those boys, they signed a peace pledge and they're up there uh, really making history with the, the progress they're making. But uh, Reverend uh, Mark L., I want you to talk about this young generation and their disconnection. And I think you even said something about that with the dream and with these uh, these icons, the Dr. Kings. What do you think? Well, I, you know, it, it um, is not very surprising to me that you had that experience, particularly with those 
three young men. And, frank, and frankly, I'm uh, a little surprised that it was not a larger number of young people who said that Dr. King was weak because what has been said to at least the last generation and a half of young people is that to be peaceful and loving uh, is to be weak and to be aggressive and uh, filled with rage and anger and force and violence is strength. We have had a misdefinition that has been um, subliminally and consciously implanted and embedded into the minds of at least a generation and a half of our young people. So much of the definitions uh, of, of what strength is is so wrong and so, um, uh, you know, messed up as long as that I can frame it in the hearts and minds of so many of our young men, which is why they try to actualize their masculinity through the same means, uh, through the same lens uh, and definition that they are using to judge whether or not Dr. King was strong or weak. And, and so, you know, it's, it's not very, very surprising, although very disappointing. But one of the things that I try to say to the generation that has gone before you and I, Reverend Cummings, is we can no longer just expect and anticipate this generation to have respect for the work and the leadership of people like Gandhi and Dr. King and others because they don't know very much about them. And, you know, we are in, uh, you and I are based in Atlanta, which is, you know, the home of Martin Luther King Jr. But uh, because of that, we have the misinterpretation and the misimpression, and I say we, many of the leadership community, that Dr. King is still known and beloved in all generations. And frankly, there are young people in, even in this community who don't know much about Martin Luther King Jr. and think the only thing that he ever did was, was had a dream and made a speech. And so we've got a lot of work to do, and I think it's important to take the principles uh, of Dr. King and Gandhi and Mother Teresa and Nelson Mandela and so many other greats who preached and practiced nonviolence, but we've got to make that present and prevalent in this generation and generations to come. And I think that's what uh, you are doing with the Power of Peace Project, working in, in, in the prisons and, and working with these young gang members to help them to understand what, what nonviolence really is. It's really not a mechanism for, uh, for the weak. It really is a tool for the strong. Yeah, that's good. And, I'm seeing that in, I mean, live and in person with these uh, really, really tough convicts in these prisons, rival gangs that are coming together. And what the Power of Peace Project does is gives them, um, it's not an out, but they can stand up and be strong and choose nonviolence and still maintain respect and not lose their credibility. You know, um, last week I spoke about an event that I was at. And it was a uh, rival gangs coming together in a very tough area of Atlanta, Bankhead. And um, there right. were, you know, different groups, different sects. Um, it was uh, largely Muslim. <clears throat> and there were gangs and crips and gangster disciples and bloods. And, and they came together and there was not even any, I mean, there wasn't violence. There wasn't even attention. It was amazing. But they were all coming together to march because that, that community is wounded and they were angry. 
And I began to march with them, but I was just observing. I was just an observer that day, and I was passionately curious. And I wanted to find out. I wanted to walk with them so that I, a white man, grew up in middle class Southern America. And, um, and I want to get involved and see what I don't know. Let me ask you this. How do we get people of, of more, <laughs> how do we get our white brothers and sisters to get involved in this solution. There are wonderful, I'm not saying that they're not, but there's a huge disconnect between white suburban America and what we're trying to do downtown uh, with movement forward. But what, what are the solutions to that problem? Well, the one, uh, first of all, let me just uh, try to piggyback on what you said. Uh, you know, I, I don't think what you're, what you're talking about is giving them, quote unquote, an out. But I think you are giving these gang members an outlet, an outlet to express themselves and to change uh, the destructive course of conversation that they've been engaged in. But they've been engaged in the conversation that they're familiar with. You know, many people don't um, know what they like. They don't know that they like peace or violence. They like what they know. And many of the instances that, that you have dealt with and that we've talked about over the last year or so, are because uh, these young men don't know any other way. So what you are exposing them to, and the thing that I think we have to continue to do, is expose some of these young men who've never seen anything but violence. They've never seen anything but uh, uh, tensions and gangs and uh, the divisiveness that has kind of... um, uh, fuel this gang violence that we've seen all over the country for the last two decades at least, uh, they've only seen that. They don't know any other way in large measure to communicate. And so when you start talking about solutions, one of the key components to that, on my view, is to present other options to these young men and women, but specifically the young men. And, and I think that that goes a long way toward solving a problem because, you know, there's something innate in all of us that wants uh, the same basic things. We want to be able to feed ourselves. We want to be able to take care of our families, and, and we want to be able to raise our children. We want to be able to take care of our mothers and fathers. We, we want, you know, to be educated. We want to have a nice life. Those things are pretty consistent with all human beings around the world as I've, as I've traveled at least that's been my experience. And I think that the thing we have to do is figure out how to connect people together in a way that uh, provides space for mutual growth and development, which leads me to, to kind of what my thoughts are about the second aspect of what we're, you know, what you just asked. And that is, how do we get our white brothers and sisters? I think the way that you connect people is, pro- is providing uh, an opportunity and an outlet. You, you know, I, I'll give you an example. Um, recently, after the Charleston shooting, uh, the response that we saw in Atlanta was, you know, there was a prayer vigil at an African-American church, in fact, Ebenezer Baptist Church, Dr. King's Church. There was a prayer vigil where uh, Atlanta came together and prayed for the churches uh, in the AME denomination, and specifically for Mother Emanuel in the aftermath of the Dylan Roof shooting, um, 
in, in, in North Charleston or in Charleston. And uh, when I saw the response, it was, it was bittersweet for me. It was beautiful to see people coming together. But it was a bit disappointing because it was primarily an African-American-oriented event when the reality is what happened in Charleston was not just offensive to black people. It was offensive to all Americans. And I knew that there had to be people in Atlanta uh, of every race and of every religious persuasion that wanted to express their hurt and their pain and their desire to, to come together as, as one unit. So uh, within 24 hours, I reached out to about 15 or so AME pastors that I'm friends with uh, in the Atlanta area and asked them to join me for a conference call with some of our downtown, midtown, and, Bro- and Buckhead brothers and sisters who are white and, and faith leaders. So we called together the pastor of some of Atlanta's largest churches, Wyuka Road Baptist Church, which is in Buckhead, the um, second Ponce Leon Baptist Church, one of Atlanta's other uh, really large white churches, also in Buckhead, the, uh, a number of churches. And, and it was amazing to me, Reverend, that some 50 white pastors uh, of major congregations came together for a meeting, and within about four days, we pulled together a prayer vigil where literally hundreds of people, about 70% of them white, came together in one of Atlanta's most prestigious churches, the Peachtree Christian Church, uh, right on Peachtree Street in Midtown, and we prayed together as brothers and sisters, putting together, putting aside our differences and coming together. Well, that could only happen when someone like me that carries the tradition and the profile that I carry reached out to them, extended an olive branch, and made it possible for us to come together. What I found is that people will come together when they're asked to and when they're invited to. So much of what we see as uh, a lack of involvement and participation from our white brothers and sisters is not really about uh, uh, their indifference to these issues around race and justice and class. It really is a result of the fact that no one has effectively and sufficiently reached out and created space for people to come together and work together on these pressing issues that we're facing in this time. And that's why, you know, frankly, I created Movement Forward, because we've got to take the work of humanity and move it forward out of the divisiveness that we have seen uh, around these issues of, of social justice, civil, and human rights. That's good stuff. I, I so appreciate you sharing that. And those are the things that, that we need to get the word out about. And that's what one of the things I, I'm committed to making this show about, to, to have a voice to let people know there are things going on. There are solutions. I loved what you said, that, that they came because you invited them. And really, so much of the work I do in my life is because I started saying, I go where I'm invited, invite me. And that has not just taken me into, you know, the inner cities, but it's taken me into the suburbs, into very white communities and Jewish communities, you know, ashrams, temples, synagogues, you know, <laughs> mosques, um, are not just around the country, but around the world. And, and it's taught me so many things. And it's what attracted me to movement forward and to what you're doing 
Um, that needs to happen. That's a solution tonight that I'm so glad that, that I heard and that you talked about is that white and black pastors came together and prayed. And that's a lot of people. That's not just a couple little churches. And if we could get faith communities to come together, start a conversation, seek first to understand, find common ground, walk a mile in the other man's shoes, actively yeah. listen, compassionately yeah. communicate. When we're wrong, admit it and make it right and treat our adversaries with dignity and respect, especially when we disagree. That's what people and then, want. And when, when we do that, magic happens. And you know, Reverend, the thing that I've found over the years is those whom we think uh, oftentimes that we hold as adversaries really are not adversaries at all. They're people who uh, may see the world differently than we do, but their sight and their viewpoint is based on their experience. And, and just because their experience is different and the lessons that they've learned as a result of their rearing are different than ours does not make them wrong. And, and I think one of the things that, that's a problem with, with you know, race relations, uh, these issues around justice and class and civil and human rights in America today is we believe, uh, most of us believe that in order for us to be right, someone else has to be wrong. I just thank God that I've grown to the place and come to the place in my life and career that I realize that, that just because I see the world differently than someone else doesn't mean that I'm right and they're wrong or that they're right and I'm wrong. Uh, our truth is in large measure based on our experience. What we have to do is stop trying to make people see the world in such concrete terms, such uh, black and white, if you will, terms. Most of us live in a gray area. Most of, most of politics and most of religion and most of issues around justice and peace are not black or white. They're gray. So our challenge in this generation is to connect people together to work around our commonalities as opposed to accentuating our differences. But I've got to tell you that that requires a degree of courage. It requires some courage to step outside of your comfort zone and your familiarity, uh, your familiar zone, to see the humanity in other people. So, yep. you know, when I, when I look at the present debate, for example, around the Confederate flag, uh, one of the things that I've, I've tried to do is to try to understand, it's very difficult for me, but to try to understand the mindset of people that believe that the uh, Confederate battle flag is about Southern heritage. Well, for some people it may be about heritage, but for me it's about horror. It's about the horror of slavery and, 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 and uh, uh, the Ku Klux Klan and, and lynchings and so on and so forth. But if some people hold the legitimate view in their own mind and experience that the Confederate battle flag is about Southern heritage, then we've got to work to help them to see the harm that it does to us while we also reflect upon the sense of heritage they have about that flag. But it takes some, it, again, it takes some courage to do that. And, in, you know, a lot of people, and I hate to say it like this, but it's the way that I feel it, a lot of people don't want to work across divides because divides create headlines. Uh, the divides and division uh, creates uh, uh, an impetus for some to love you and others to hate you. 
I'm really more interested in solving problems at this juncture in my life and my career as I, as I know you are, which is why I'm bound and determined to use the rest of my public career and life to bring people together to solve problems who may not naturally be uh, uh, allies, but who uh, certainly have some commonalities of interest. I love it. And um, I'm just sitting here thinking as I'm listening to not just what we're talking about, but the wisdom behind it. Um, obviously, you have come up as a, a generation following you know, those that were with Dr. King and the ones that um, have, have gone on. And I know that's been a part of your, your story. Um, as a young man, um, you led a student, national student civil rights organization, you know, as the, the youngest one ever to do that. And I think about, and I'd like to hear about, um, you know, maybe in the, in the next segment, um, you know, you were raised up in it. And the things that just came out of you are not just words, they're convictions. I mean, I, I feel you believe that. And for a man um, of your color, in your position, with your voice to be considering how another person feels about the pride in that flag is powerful because I know that your your belief is that it, it is very offensive and it's harmful. But for you to be trying to figure out what the other man feels, um, that, is, that is the whole deal and that's powerful. But I think about these young men that are growing up in these communities where the there's the strong men of wisdom are missing in other cultures that came before us the elder was left was was held up the longer you've been on the planet the wiser you were and the young ones came in to hear the old men tell the stories and teach the songs and tell them where they come from and and who their father grandfather great-grandfather was and and now we've got a generation and it's not just black kids in the inner city don't get me wrong these are white kids out in the suburbs that their fathers might be missing and they're still in the house or there's a divorce and nobody is teaching our young people these things that, that we're talking about that are so important about being a real man, about how to conduct yourself, how to communicate, how to listen, how to treat a woman, you know, how to resolve conflict. And so I admire um, your your voice and your experience, your life journey. But I want to, you know, I want to talk about this next generation that's coming up that um, the the male is missing. People ask me, what do you think the biggest problem is in our country? And many times, you know, there's plenty of things we can talk about, but I say the absent father, you know, and that's not a black thing, a white thing, a brown thing. That's a human thing. We've got men that are checking out and they're not teaching the young ones anything. So we can't be pissed off because, you know, that kid pulled his pants up, you know, and quit talking like that. It's like, well, where were you? You know, where's the, where's the older man in his life to teach him these things? Yeah, and, and you know, I, I, I know we're going to get into that after the, after the break. But, it, you know, for me, Reverend, you know, the, the necessity of seeing the humanity and trying to uh, work around and work through the differences that people have is really the only way to solve problems. You cannot solve problems by working with, you can't in substance solve real problems uh, that we're seeing around the nation and around the globe today by working with those who view the world the way you do or working exclusively with those 
who view the world the way you do. You've got to have the capacity, again, to see the humanity, to see the humanity in the experience, the viewpoint, the perspective of the history and legacy of others if you expect to solve problems. There's something that has got to connect between you and another person in order for you all to work together to solve problems. And I think uh, you, you know that better than most because of your work with these gang members. The only way I'm sure that you're able to get these rival gangs to come together is they've got to be able to see the differences are really not uh, that significant when you start counting up the commonalities and, and the similarities between them. That's kind of where we've got to go in America today when it comes to race and race relations. As long as we sit back in our individual corners and scream at each other, nothing will be solved. The only way we are able to solve problems is when we have the courage and the capacity to see that there is more that unites us than there is that divides us, and that can only happen when we have the courage to come together and sit and to talk with each other and try to work through some of these difficult issues. I'm, I'm really convinced that most people in America are good people, and they want what is best for all people, not just themselves, but I genuinely believe that people want what's best for humanity. The question is, how do we get each other to see that there are some things about ourselves that are different than others that must be considered in the discussion and in the discourse. Man, that's good. Yeah, it's, it's, I've been respected and I've been accepted and I have been vouched for with people that, I mean, I did I do not expect to find what I see, so I've decided to quit expecting things when I go into these places, and they're just real people with real stories, and you walk a mile with the other man, the other woman, and this works with the kids, too. If more parents started putting themselves in the position of the 13-year-old, what does it feel like? We've been there before. You know, what is he or she feeling? Get involved in the conversation and, and really seek first to understand their life find common ground with them. And these young men, these young women, they need someone to understand them the way that uh, we're talking about race relations. We could be talking about, you know, Israel and Palestine is we've got to try to figure out what the other person is feeling, doing, thinking, saying, and, and then we can start a conversation. But if we just dig in and continue to, I loved what you said, people that live this way and say, man, if, if you win, I lose. You know, if I yeah. win, you lose. And then it's always going to be a battle, whether it's a marriage, if it's a father and a son, if it's a white and black thing, if it's a Christian Muslim thing. If we dig in and say, man, I got to win, I beat you or I lose. Why not? If you win, I win. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And when you lose, I lose. We have been yeah. jamming and- through this thing and, and we've powered on through a break. So we're going to take a quick break and a little commercial break. And then we're going to come back and. Man, I wish this one was four hours long, Reverend, but we're going to break real quick. So uh, those that are listening, uh, come back to us. And those that aren't, go get on with us. We'll be right back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. 
VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Can you think of anybody who does not want a better life and to be a better person? Think about that for a second. Almost everyone wants to be better, but how does one go about doing that? One thing that is making people better every week is tuning in to the Self-Improvement Show with Dr. Irene Conlon. All real change comes from within, but many of us don't know where to find the information or guidance we need to make the changes that bring about the improvement. Most of us don't know how to work within. Listen Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Should there be more to your life? Do you need a change? Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young will provide empowering commentary each week to encourage you. She will interview successful personalities from movies, television, business, technology, health, and academia. All of them have amazing stories resulting in transformed lives. You will learn how to discover real happiness, financial success, and fulfillment to live your highest purpose. Join her on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. What makes you the best you can be? Is it money? Is it success? Maybe it's love, a good career, home, and family. Could it be a bit of all of these things? Be the best you can be with Dr. Linda Sanicola, along with her featured guests, will bring you the tools that could be the answer to the questions you've been asking. You'll get to the root of some of the problems that have been keeping you from being the best you can be and tackle them head on. Listen every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. listening to Power of Peace Radio. To reach Kit Cummings or his guest today, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to kit at kitcummings.com. Now, back to Power of Peace Radio. We're back, Power of Peace Radio. We're talking to Reverend Markel Hutchins, civil and human rights leader, and, uh, man, this has been great conversation. Uh, during the break, we were discussing a few things that, that we want to talk about here in, uh, in our last segment. And there's a lot of talk going on, obviously, with the events that we've already talked about in Ferguson and Baltimore and Cleveland and New York and Charleston, where there is a tension in our communities uh, between law enforcement and, quote, unquote, civilians, the community. And it's been growing, but now it's, it's, it's very, very intense. And um, I know a lot of wonderful police officers. And then I know some, you know, guys that maybe shouldn't be in that field. And I know some really tough and dangerous convicts who don't need to be in the free world. And I know some that, that are uh, amazing men of faith. And so um, we had a, a, an event downtown, and I was invited in by Reverend Hutchins to be a part of it. And um, it was about, it was called Cops and Communities, Bridging the Divide. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. And, and again, solutions, because this thing is getting hotter and hotter. And to be a police officer right now is very, very intense on alert. And to be a, a civilian that gets pulled over, um, go ahead and, uh, you know, just expound on that, if you would, please. Well, you know, um, Reverend, I think what what uh, that town hall meeting sought to do, and I, in fact did, uh, is is an extension of much of what we've talked about this program, and that is bringing people on quote unquote different sides of these issues. 
together. There are a lot of people, again, uh, and I, I can't say this enough because they're you know, it's something that I think we really, really have to deal with aggressively. There are a lot of people that would rather see the tension between police officers and civilians than to solve the problem. And I, I don't believe that you can solve problems in a vacuum. If we've got a problem with the way police and law enforcement officers deal with communities, whether they be communities of color or, or any other community, we've got to talk to police. We cannot stand in our corner and scream and yell and protest and shout no justice, no peace when we have the capacity to sit together with these police officers and say to them directly, these are the challenges that we have with you. These are the things that are going wrong in terms of the relationship between law enforcement and community, and these are the ways that we have got to fix these problems. So because we have the capacity to do just that, we pulled together a uh, town hall discussion, which we were so, so delighted to have you a part of, uh, that we entitled Bridging the Divide Between Cops and Communities, where police officers at every level, sheriff's deputies, um, uh, police chiefs, and so on and so forth, came together with people in, uh, in, in communities, with organizational leaders such as yourself, to figure out how we can strengthen and righten the relationship between law enforcement and community. And there were a lot of folks who uh, uh, didn't want that conversation to happen again because mm-hmm. there are a number of people whose livelihoods are dependent upon the perpetuation of the tension between yeah. cops and communities and, and, and who don't want to solve those problems. And, and you know, I, I, I'm just at the point in my career and my life and ministry where I just deal with it forthrightly. A lot of folks don't want to see peace because war is more profitable for them. But we mm-hmm. think that only way we're going to solve this problem and, and lessen the tension between police officers and the communities that they serve is for folks to come together and talk through some of these difficult issues. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and that was, it was very, very powerful. I mean, it was, it was, it was a day I'll never forget. There was a, a mother on the panel that shared about her son being killed, and it was very, very poignant. It was a powerful moment, but when we had an officer share about how he's just trying to go home to his family and how he was, you know, put in a situation where he was attacked and we got to hear both sides. And again, when you sit down and hear the other person's story, it's hard to hate up close. Judgment and hatred happens at a distance. When we get close to those that, that we think are enemies, adversaries, we don't, we don't, we fear each other because we don't understand each other. We don't understand each other because we don't communicate. And so Absolutely. that was a beautiful day, but we had, you know, someone came up and on the stage with signs, you handled it amazing and, and gave a, a wounded person a voice. And um, it was a powerful day. We've got just a maybe two minutes here. I want to get your final thoughts and then I'm going to have a, a final thought for this show. Um, but any, any burning thoughts or, or something that you want to say here in the next minute or so? Well, you know, certainly it's been it's been an honor and a privilege. And this, you know, one hour show was not was not enough to talk about all the things that that uh, you and I are passionate about, and even the private conversations that we've had over the last year or so. Yeah, you know, when I I come back at some point in the future, and I hope that you will have me back, I'd love to talk about this issue around 
the prison industrial complex. We are, you know, and that's something that I know you're, you're passionate about, but we're just losing too many of our young men and women of promise to uh, uh, this, this jail and prison uh, culture that we have in the United States of America. Uh, we're, you know, and, and, it, and it's really counterintuitive on every level because uh, it costs so much to incarcerate these young men and women when you compare it to, to what it would cost to educate them. We've just got to do uh, a lot of work around the issue of prisons and jails uh, and 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 doing so, we can increase public safety, yeah. uh, decrease the bottom line of the cost that it takes to deal with some of these young men and women who've been challenged and who are challenges. But uh, that, that's something that I'm really passionate about, and I, I hope we'll be able to deal with that soon. Yeah, and absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you said you wanted to come back. I would love to have you back. We're going to have some shows here in the coming weeks. We're going to have some wardens that are making a big difference. We're going to have uh, some young people, you know, that have that are in the in the system now. Some guys who have gotten out. We really, really want to talk about these issues. They're very important. Um, I wanted to close with a with a story, which I, I like to do, and and it really uh, gives me hope. I was doing an event in a prison in Ohio, and um, a man walked up to me, and I didn't know him, but everybody else did. Big, heavy-set, older guy, long hair, big, long beard, covered with tattoos, happened to be white. He had been down 31 years, and he wasn't going home. Big horn-rimmed glasses, his nose uh, bore the scars of someone trying to bite it off. And he came up to me, and uh, when we, we kicked it off, he said, I'm here because the warden asked me to be. I don't want to be here. I came up 40 days later, and he walked up to me, and he said, uh, he had tears in his eyes, and he gave me the journal, and he said, I want you to have this, the 40 Days of Peace journal. And he was chosen by the, by the peers in the group, 87 men. He was chosen to share, and he got up at the front, and this was the leader of the Aryan Brotherhood in this prison. Now, that is a white supremacist gang that is feared, and this guy is known, and he got up, and he started to cry. And he acted like he had heartburn. Everybody laughed. And he shared about his table family that had come together over 40 days. And he pointed over at this table and he said, that's my family right there. And that table had half of the table happened to be young black men. And this was such a huge deal for this man that's done that much time. And he shared about how hard it was to tell his men to stand down and not to fight and how he felt like it made him weak. But he was learning that, 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 that peace was powerful, and, and he shared, he poured his heart out in this journal, and he shared about how, you know, the, the peace was changing his life. And I saw this guy had been down 31 years, changing in 40 days, and coming together with, with not just young men, but black young men. And this is a white leader. And uh, peace is possible. If that can happen, it takes away our excuses. Thank you so much, Reverend Hutchins. I want to have you back. I have a new book that's being released this weekend called Peace Behind the Wire, A Nonviolent Resolution. Um, it comes out on Amazon, Apple iBooks, Barnes & Noble on the 10th. I want you to get it, and I want you to come back. Tell somebody about this show. And, um, and we're going to have a great guest like we had tonight. We're going to talk about real issues. I hope you learned something tonight. This is The Power of Peace Radio. And uh, we're going to sign off. Thank you, Reverend Hutchins. God bless your work. Keep doing what you do, sir. Thank you for tuning in to Power of Peace Radio. 
We hope you've been inspired to make a difference and to be the change you wish to see in your world. And we hope you will listen to our next show. We're live every Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.